Uh, today, we are continuing uh, week two of what we call foundations. What these are, are these are five pictures into things that we believe and things that are important to us as a church. And for just like all the pictures in your phone that you really like, the best ones have a story behind them. And so all five of these pictures that we're going to look at have a story behind them, have a value behind them, have a purpose and a meaning behind them. Uh, and so for, e- for each week, we've put up a picture. We got a picture of my kids right here. They're super happy. Uh, The reason why they are so happy in that picture uh, is because we're driving down from our house in Clovis. We're driving down uh, to pick up a cat. Like our kids had wanted a cat. Ellie put together a a, uh, Google Slides presentation about why we should have a cat. And so we gave in after like rats owned all of our cars and ate stuff in our cars. We said, hey, we're going to buy a cat. And so if you think, man, that is sissy. I'd never go to a church where the pastor has a cat. Let me just run this by you, okay? 95% of owning a cat is the exact same as not owning a cat, all right? So next time you're following your dog and cleaning up after your dog and wake up in the middle of the night to open the door for your dog and all that stuff, none of that happens with a cat, all right? That's why we do this. So that's the context behind this picture. Are the kids always this smiling? If you have kids, you know the answer is no, not at all. But today, they're smiling. They're excited about this. And so as we step into what are these five pictures that shape who we are as a church and what we care about today, we're looking at our passion. Last week, we talked about our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. And we said that if the joy of the Lord is in your heart, you should notify your face. And some of you got that repeated back to you last week. And so if that was you, you may be entitled to a financial settlement. Uh, you'll just have to pay yourself. But, but our passion is to, to do something that Jesus says. And our passion is to be a house of prayer for all nations. All these things, we said this last week, we're going to say each week, each of these pictures is grounded in a context. It's rooted in something that has a bigger meaning than just the picture, than just the saying. It's grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus. And without the personal relationship, prayer isn't just a neutral thing. It goes from being a good thing to a neutral thing. It actually goes from being a good thing, I'm going to say this, to a bad thing. And the reason why it goes to being a bad thing is without the relationship, it's a dead ritual. And with the relationship, though, it's so many good things. And we're actually going to step into those this morning. But before that, I want to give us a little bit of a background on something that Jesus says. The foundation of this about our passion to be a house of prayer for all nations comes from a story that's actually repeated in all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus's life. So if you look in your Bible about two thirds of the way through, it goes from Old Testament names that we don't recognize so much to New Testament names that we know a lot of. So the first four are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are guys who either walked around with Jesus or compiled eyewitness accounts to write down these stories about the life of Jesus and the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that more people could know about Jesus. And what we're going to look at today is one of the few instances that's recorded in all four of those. And the background, it begins with this. One of the titles that's given to Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was around, people had different titles for him. He was the Son of Man. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, what, like lots of titles. And this one takes specific root in the story that we're going to look at today. Because back in the first half of the Bible and in the culture that Jesus grew up in, 
There is a system to deal with our sin. There is a system to deal with us once a year coming back to God to say, I'm sorry for insert your text history and insert your search history right here. Like these are the things that I'm sorry for. And the thing that would represent our penitence, represent that worries that we feel bad about ourselves would be a pure spotless animal. And one of the options for that animal was a lamb. But this wasn't just something we could do anywhere. This was something that had to be done in one specific place. So people from all over the country, Jews all over everywhere, would take their pure spotless lamb that they've been raising from birth in their own house for a long time. They'd take this lamb to Jerusalem, to the temple, for it to be inspected and gauged and worthy. And then the priest would sacrifice it. So anytime there's structure, anytime there's bureaucracy, there's also going to be corruption. And so people would show up with their lamb that they're pretty sure has been good, and they've carried it the whole time, hundreds of miles sometimes to get to Jerusalem, they'd show up and instantly there's a money-making opportunity. So this isn't happening in the back row, in the back room, and like nobody can see it. This is happening, if this were us, it'd be right out on King's Canyon. So right out on King's Canyon, there's this long line of people who aren't from here, who have their lamb, who looks good, and they'd go to present it to the priest. And the priest would take a look at it and just kind of like the... They'd look at it and they'd see something they don't like and they'd say, eh, break a nail. Oh, he's got a broken nail on his foot. It's not pure, it's not spotless, it's bleeding. You need to ditch your lamb and buy another one from us. So there's money making right there. The thing is, is you don't have local currency. You traveled from Fireball. And so you have Fireball money and you show up and you, all you got is Fireball dollars. And they're like, okay, we'll trade your Fireball dollars for Sunnyside dollars. The thing is, the exchange rate is nowhere near one to one. It's like seven and a half to one. So again, we're making more money. And now that you have the, you have the, you have the Sunnyside money, you're going to buy the lamb that the last guy tried to submit and was rejected. You're going to buy that back for an even more like blown up rate. So this is corruption, 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 corruption. And Jesus walks in and says, this isn't right. And so he starts throwing tables over because there's a problem then that still exists now. The day that Jesus walked into the temple, the overwhelming impression that about organized religion was that it's full of arrogance, manipulation, and a complete disinterest for those on the outside. That was the culture in which Jesus walked in. And 2,000 years later, not much has changed. And so what happens? Jesus walks into the temple and he says this. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He's given them a new picture and a new understanding of who God is, how church is going to be. And the thing that he said, that he quoted, he said, he said, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. He's using two Old Testament passages. So the part of the Bible that those people understand that they can identify with, they're saying, oh, their ears perk up and they're going, yeah, that, that's God's language. Those are things that God says to communicate to them that it's time for something new. God has something better than this system of weird corruption and weird money changing and all this stuff. He says, I've got something better than this. And the better that he was talking about is a personal relationship that we grow in with God through prayer. So one of the ways that we refer to prayer, that we talk about prayer here, is that prayer is the conversational part of our love relationship with God. 
Prayer is the conversational part of our love relationship with God. There's frequency to prayer. There's depth to prayer. And you know, just, just like with dating, initiating conversation is the way for the relationship to grow. You don't talk and eventually the relationship is going to die. And with God, God wants us to talk to him. We're going to practice that in a little bit. And part of that relationship is a heart that becomes more like Jesus. Part of the way that we become, that we grow in our spiritual lives, no longer be the people that we were when we became Christians or or the the way that we are now. Part of the way that God grows us is through prayer. And what prayer does is it slowly changes our hearts to be more like Jesus who drew every type of person to himself when he was on earth and less like the people that we can't stand, less like the religious people that repel non-believers from the church. I think if, if as Christians we spent more time with Jesus praying and developed more of God's heart for our lost world, for the 66,000 people who live around this place who don't care about this place, then our arrogance would subside our care for only ourselves, ignoring the vulnerable and the oppressed among us, our selfishness that's inherent and unseen in so many decisions that we make, those things would begin to be worn down because we're spending time with God who changes our hearts. We can't stay arrogant. We can't manipulate people. We can't think only about ourselves when we're spending time with God and taking on God's heart for things. So, how? How are we going to do this? How are we going to grow in this? How are we going to make this more than something that I get really animated and talk really loudly for 10 minutes and then we all say, okay, I I need to pray more. I need to do a better job. Man, next week I'm really going to get up at like four in the morning and just do all this right. I'm not letting you off that easy to like let you leave and not do anything. We're actually going to step in to what Jesus tells us to do and how to pray. So there's an instance uh, where his, his disciples come to him and say, hey, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we pray? We've seen it done out there. We know the way that other people do it. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. It doesn't hit society right. But how do you want us to pray? And so Jesus tells him. And the first thing that Jesus tells us to pray about is his kingdom. This is in Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, starts in verse 9. He says, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think right there, it shows us the undeserved greatness and gracefulness of prayer. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve and God inviting us to talk to him and for our words to be heard by God, specifically around God's kingdom being built, shows how over the top and and undeserved on our part prayer is. Because if there's anybody who doesn't need help building his kingdom, it's God. Right? If you're a Christian for more than a year, you come to the understanding that everything that God wants to do to restore the world and put it back to the way that he wants it to be, we work in that to work against that. All right? God wants parents and children to get along perfectly. And as a flawed dad, I messed that up. I've messed that up this week. I haven't really seen my kids yet today, so I haven't messed it up today. Everything's great. <laughs> But what does God do is he invites us into praying for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, there's playoffs going on right now for football, and this kind of works like football. 
Because sometimes, you know, there, there's like a, the one-play drive. Yesterday, if you're watching the Raiders game, you're hoping that what happens is Carr takes a handoff. He hands off to Josh Jacobs. The line parts like it's the Red Sea. He blasts past the linebackers, past the safeties, into the end zone. That didn't happen. I'm sorry for your loss if you're silver and black, but that's reality. You guys don't win. Um, <laughs> sometimes there's things that God does that just happen. For example, when Jesus rose from the dead, there was nobody praying for it to happen. God just did it. He's building his kingdom because God is just going to do that. Other times, Josh Jacobs doesn't break through the line, the linebackers, the safeties, the end zone. There's like the four downs that need to happen. You gain a little bit first down. You gain a little bit second down. Third down, you convert. And so you get to start over at first. And there's a cycle to prayer. What it is, is God has a desire. Like we said, where we're praying, we ask God, build your kingdom. Use us to do that. May your kingdom come soon. All that stuff. May your name be kept holy. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God has a desire of a way that he wants to do that. And what he does is through the Holy Spirit, he puts that on somebody's heart to pray. They didn't have to be a Christian because non-Christians pray just like Christians do. And God hears both of them. So God has a desire. He puts it on somebody's heart. They pray and God hears that. And he says, hey, that prayer started with me. I'm going to answer that. And so the cycle continues to go and go and go. And God is inviting us into prayer. When kingdom comes, when God's kingdom comes, it's seen as an act of restoration. It's seen as things putting back together. So I think the first question for us is, what do you want God to restore in your lives? What do you want God to restore in your life? And then there's some, some examples on that, things that have been broken, like personal relationships. There's brokenness in our workplace. There's brokenness in our city. There's brokenness in our country. So what we're going to do now, and that makes this different from regular weeks, is we're actually going to pray. So in a little bit, I'm going to step down. I'm going to be next to Anna. As a couple, we're going to pray, and I'm going to set a timer for two minutes. So if you're here with your family, came all in one group because, like, numbers and everything have been really bad this week. We had the plan at the beginning of the week. This is what we're going to do, and then COVID has been crazy. So if you're here with, like, the people you came with in your car or people you're around regularly, uh, I encourage you to pray as a group. We're going to set a timer for two minutes, uh, and we'll pray for these things. If you're here alone and you want to stay alone, stay where you are. If you're here and you don't have a group with you, but you'd like to pray with somebody else, meet somebody down the middle. Because uh, that's going to be like the, hey, I'm not here, not with anybody. I'd love to pray with somebody. Come down the middle. And this is what we're going to pray for first. What's the first part that Jesus says? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking God's will to be done in this. So the media team is going to leave that slide up. If you'd like to pray with someone that's not already near you, meet them in the middle here, in the middle aisle, and we'll pray for these things. I'll see you back in two minutes. If you can hear my voice, that means you survived. You lived. That's good. Um, so God tells us to pray for his kingdom. The second thing he tells us is to pray for provision. I, I love this part. There, for people like me who don't always see the nuances in life, I've got a very black and white approach to things, which sometimes is a disaster. Um, but the next phrase is, is Jesus says, give us today the food that we need. That's all he says. Give us today the food that we need. I really appreciate the language here because for, for those of us who have taught kids how to talk, he never says please. Like there's never a point where you, you, you grovel. And you tell God how horrible you are and how you should have used last week's leftovers to feed you this week, even though anything past seven days is kind of gross. He says, God, just, we need food. 
Like there's no please. I love that because there are going to be things that we ask for that God doesn't answer. There are going to be things that we don't ask for that God does. He just kind of does it for us. But throughout, there's a, there's a singular command. There's an approach that never gets old. And that's you just ask. So Jesus, teaching his people how to pray, never says please. He says, hey, ask. Tell God what you need. Don't dress it up with pretense. Don't list all of his nicknames and then tell him what you want. Just say what you need. So what's the next thing? The next thing is what's one area of life where you need God to provide? What's one area of life where you need God to provide? Two minutes, same thing as before. Let's pray. Let's go to our God who loves us, who wants to hear from us what we need. All right, so he prays for kingdom. He teaches us to pray for provision. Uh, and then knowing that, that sometimes people are messy, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. He says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Um, and this is part of our relationship with God. I, th- I think we, we err on either side of the extreme on this. Either I'm good and, and this is just who I am or, or forgiveness is, is just like we're, we've got nothing good in us and everything's busted. You know, and, and instead Jesus brings us to this, this accurate kind of day-by-day understanding that as humans, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna sin. That separates us from God. Jesus came into the world to forgive us of our sin once and for all. And then there's a daily bringing restoration back to our relationship with God, bringing restoration back to our relationships with others. And specifically, so some of you are playing with, as your families and as kids are over there and you're not with them, dads, this is how we model following Jesus to our kids, is we admit the times where we screw up because they know it even more than we do, that we're flawed, broken people who are way stronger than they are, but we're still flawed and broken. And as we live out the reality of our own need for forgiveness, we open the door for our kids to do the same for kids to follow Jesus in humility because they see dad do it. So next question is, uh, so what's one thing that you're asking God to forgive you for today? What's one thing you're asking God to forgive you for today? And so we're just confessing, God, I want you to forgive me for this. Put in situation here. And then just imagine what would be the opposite of that? And just ask God to fill you with that. So you're declaring what the sin was and you're saying, God, fill me with the opposite. In this situation next time, this is what I want to do. Let's pray for that now. There's provision, there's forgiveness. And the last one is temptation. And we think, ooh, that must be something bad. Um, but it, it's more than that. It's, it's not only doing bad things, it's also not doing good things. And so Jesus says, don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I think at that moment, there, there's this huge all-encompassing desire. What does the devil want to do to ruin your life? anything it takes. Sometimes it's the obvious stuff. Sometimes just not doing the good stuff. And so the final question for us, the team will put on the screen, is just what's your next step in following Jesus? If you're here today, we talk about this. We talk about the relationship. We talk about what God did to have and initiate a relationship with you. Then today, your first step is, is to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, to change you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you. That's your first step. And the devil wants to do everything possible to keep you from taking your first step. He's excited about that. Anything possible. 
But what God wants to do is he wants to lead you in that first step. For some of you, your next step is, is tithing, giving 10% of everything that comes in to God's mission through the church. Some of you, it's leading somebody that you know who doesn't yet know Jesus, leading them to Jesus. And you're freaked out about it. And that's okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to let fear make our decisions for us. And so the question for us is, what's your next step in following Jesus? Because we all know there's temptations to stop, to not do that, to not take that step. And so the question is, is we're just going to ask Jesus, okay, release me from this temptation. What does Jesus say? His own words, don't let me yield to temptation, but rescue me from the devil's plan to ruin my life through blank. That's the last thing. Let's go back with our group and we'll pray for that. So that's prayer. That is talking to God as we are. Uh, because God hears us. It's the love, it's the conversational part of our love relationship with God. So how do we, how do we step into this further? Like what's next? What's next is you take what we did now and you bring it home with you. Uh, two practical things that we're going to do as a church. Uh, one of them is Thursday. There's a group of people. Uh, past, uh, George is one of them, and he's been going around to a bunch of churches each night for the last little while. Uh, on Thursday, they're going to be here. We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting for our city. Uh, and so a bunch of people from the city are going to be here. We're going to pray for our city. We want God's will to be done here in the city in Fresno as it is in heaven. Seven o'clock right here. Uh, a step beyond that. And why should you go to that? Well, because growing in our corporate prayer life, what that does is like pedals on a bike. Growing our corporate prayer life grows our individual prayer life. So if you want to be more equipped and more comfortable praying by yourself, get around other people to pray. And that's how we grow that way. Uh, something that will help us take a big step in that uh, is something called PGP. So that's something we're doing as a church. This is graduate school for prayer. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to take a big step up in our own prayer life and hearing God's heart for the church. You can sign up for that or get more information information for that at the welcome table. It'll start on the 30th. So there's some practical ways. God loves us. God wants to reach into us and pull us from where we are and make us into the men and women he created us to be. And that's exciting for us. That's the good news that God loves us and wants relationship with you. Let's stand and pray.